Hey guys, it's Miller. Thanks for tuning in to this week's installment of the Upper Room Dallas podcast. Uh, We are back and I have been burning with this word, God's first sanctuary, how God's design reveal God's desire. Uh, We are building a resting place for the Lord. My hope is wherever you are, is that this will stir your faith to build him a resting place in your home, in your marketplace, uh, in your church, wherever that is, he desires to rest there. So buckle up. Let's go. Hey, can you give it up for J. Lou? He's just one of my dearest of friends. <laughs> J. Lou, you're just a faithful father, man. I love you. I'm really grateful for you. You're one of a kind. And my friend David Porkadu, I think he's debriefing with the team, but uh, David was the original OG. When we went down to Oaklawn, I, the Lord was like, don't invite any of your friends, and I can't play an instrument or sing that well. And uh, I said, Lord, can I please take David? And uh, I met David. He was in a band uh, in Lower Greenville. Uh, he was not walking with the Lord. Um, and I saw him sing. He played for this, it was like this, this really cool band that had this following and he was like the lead singer. He'd tape up his hands. He'd play on the bongos and he wasn't married at the time. And, and I saw such a calling on him. I was a young adult pastor and we had mutual friends. And I started going to his shows and I went up to him after one time. And I said, man, you, you have such a calling from God. And uh, I didn't know this, but he, he spent his early twenties. He was in his late twenties at this time, but he went to the Brownsville revival he went to the school there. He was there for like two, three years. And, uh, and he came back and just, he didn't, he was in, you know, process as we all are tonight. Amen. But God has just done such a work in David. I just love his heart and I'm so grateful that he's back at the upper room. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was watching one time on uh, like TBN or CBN. They, they did these old, uh, the Brownsville Revival's revival that was in the 90s and a guy named Steve Hill preached and, and it was on uh, one of the shows on my television. I just got caught up by it because I love revival history and they're showing it and they're filming and I stopped my TV and I could see little David at 18 in the, in the crowd just listening to Steve Hill. I took a picture and I was like, bro, it's you. So it's really, really fun. Um, and your frosted tips. There you are, bud. Hey, hey I love you, man. And now to see that he's married and with kiddos and still as passionate about Jesus as ever. So I'm really grateful you're here, man. I love you. Uh, and I'm grateful to be back. I've, I, I've uh, been on a break and um, I, am, I was going to preach two weeks ago and the lights went out. What's up with that? We had Martin Smith here and like we're in the flow and then a breaker blows. And uh, it didn't stop God though. God moved powerfully that night. It was really, really a fun night. Um, It was just really awesome. And I I believe tonight's gonna be the same, but I've missed you. And uh, I wanted to thank uh, the eldership. This is our our third service this weekend. We started a Saturday night, by the way. Uh, We had, I think, close to 500 people here. We had a full house this morning, a full house tonight. So it's just awesome, able to accommodate more young families specifically. Uh, But I got to share this in all the services, just thanking the elders for that break. Four and a half months, uh, I'm indebted. Uh, What it did for me personally, uh, what it did in my marriage. Uh, we, we didn't go limping into uh, that sabbatical. It was really in obedience to our leadership, but 
in the midst of it, we realized how much we needed it. And uh, over the last four and a half months, I have not prayed with my wife as much as we got to pray together, spend time with my kids. Uh, I just am so grateful for that time. And uh, I am also really uh, excited about what the Lord has been speaking to us uh, about the upper room and just the future and where we're heading, uh, his plans for us. Um, and so I wanted to thank you guys. I know y'all have had a number of voices and you're gonna continue to have a number of voices. You, you don't come for a, a preacher or a worship leader. You come because God's here. And uh, we're committed to keeping that central in the center of this house. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you and it's really good to be back. It's really good to see your faces and to just experience the presence of Jesus with you. Uh, that's something you can't get on your own. Uh, there's places that these guys sing us into and play us into and corporately when we're singing that you just can't get by yourself. And uh, he's the same God there in your closet that's here tonight, but there's something so powerful about believers coming together regularly. And I have a deep conviction, uh, people living together in proximity to the presence of Jesus is the X factor. If you can tether yourself to a people that are building a resting place for the Lord on the earth. Watch what happens. There's a grace that falls upon those people. And I, I used to say that in faith, but I have a track record with it now. And uh, I'm, I'm committed to continuing to do that, but I've been after this since 2006, um, just shy of 20 years. And I am, I am more passionate, more committed to building a resting place for the Lord in Dallas and in other cities. I feel that it is such a need uh, in the hour that the presence of God is the delineator, that there are gonna be churches that are marked by the presence and everything else. Um, the presence is our content. <laughs> he is the content. And, and we're, we're, we're in this, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not, I wanna slow down before I go there, but I just wanted to thank you for allowing us to take a sabbatical. It was really, really powerful. Um, and so tonight, I, I wanna, someone told me this morning, they're like, man, that was the best state of the union I've heard in a while. Uh, I didn't really think of it as a state of the union for the upper room, but I do just wanna remind us who we are and why we do what we do. Uh, I, I, wanna, I wanna just kind of speak to the foundations of this house. Uh, the Lord has built something beautiful in our midst, uh, but I wanna, I just wanna speak to uh, what is central and core to us as a community. Uh, you don't think about a foundation very often. Like when you walk into your home, you're not daily thinking about it unless there's a giant crack in your wall. You know, if you're thinking about your foundation, something has gone wrong. Uh, and nothing is wrong. There's no giant cracks in the, in the walls or uh, the, the house is firm, it's standing well. But, but I do just want to speak again to the foundations that, 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 that have the, the values that that have made us us. And uh, if you're visiting tonight, you just get to hear a little inside baseball as to who the upper room is and a, a family talk. But uh, 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul tells Timothy. Timothy's uh, a disciple of Paul. He's younger than Paul. And so this father is speaking to his son and he says this to him. He admonishes him. He says, uh, guard earnestly what has been entrusted to you. Guard earnestly that which God has entrusted to you. And if you're a part of the Upper Room family, I believe he's entrusted something to us. And I wanna articulate that tonight. I wanna share what I believe um, he's entrusted to us. And, 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 and I wanna reiterate that. 
for us and just call us back to it. Um, and, and it's this, uh, it's found in Isaiah 66, verse one. Uh, Isaiah asks a question and it's based on a revelation. He says, heaven is my throne and the earth is the footstool for my feet. But here's the question he asks, where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? I wanna talk to you tonight about God's desire to have a resting place on the earth. I believe it's at the core of his heart uh, that since time began, God had a desire and God's design revealed God's desire. And I wanna talk to you about heaven. Uh, Well, I wanna talk to you about God's first sanctuary. If I were to ask you a question like, hey, what was God's first sanctuary? How would you answer that? I, I think a year ago, I would have answered it differently uh, than I would tonight. Let me define what a sanctuary is for you. Uh, the word sanctuary, it's a, it comes from a Latin word, uh, uh, sanctuum, and uh, it means this. It means to keep something special in. So that something special could be holy things, or it could be special or holy people. It's a sacred space or a sacred place. And so if I ask you that question, what was God's first sanctuary? What was the first place that quote unquote kept him in or was a house in which he dwelt? How would you answer that? Why don't we give you the answer? Here's the answer. The answer is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Now, Oftentimes when we think of creation, when we think of the first two chapters of the Bible, we don't think of a sanctuary. We think of the created order. We think of earth. We think of man being given jurisdiction over the earth, that he created a place for humans to live as they do today. Yet I want to propose to you that that the first six days were all about the seventh. And the seventh day is God resting. And it's been taught that God rested because He was taking a break from his work, not because he was tired, but just the principle of resting from work. And I agree with that, but I think there's something deeper in this for us. I think God rested because God had built something to rest in. That the earth, as much as it was built for man, it was primarily built so that God would have a dwelling place for himself. And, and I, wanna, I, I wanna attempt to articulate tonight um, why that's important for us in the here and the now. Uh, because I don't know that we have heard a, a lot of revelation around the topic of Uh, building resting places for the Lord. Most things that are built within walls like this are for people. They're unto reaching people. They're done in the name of connecting people to God. And I applaud that. But again, I'm talking about what has been entrusted to us as a house and what is foundational for us as a house. And I'm not gonna articulate our history to you, but our history speaks that originally we weren't reaching people. (laughs) Originally, The upper room was an empty room, and it was just a few. But we knew God had called us into that place, and God called us into that place not to build a place for people first and foremost, but to build a resting place for him. Uh, We began in a church planting graveyard. No one really cared 
what we were saying. They weren't into Jesus. They weren't looking for Jesus. Those that had found him had left him. We were preaching my best of the best sermons. We had David Porkadoo leading worship. Told you tonight. It was awesome, but they just weren't that interested in it, but God was. And God really stripped me of my paradigms. He cornered me and he said, son, I did not call you to minister to people first. I called you down here to minister to me. And it began this journey of understanding, well, is that even biblical? <laughs> like, Lord, you're going to have to help me understand. And he began stripping me. He began uh, deconstructing a ton in my life in order uh, to show me what he desired to build. <clears throat> Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Here's what God did. God, God, God in the created order, he did this. Day one. Light, day two, the sky, day three, dry land, seas, plants, and trees, day four, the sun, moon, and stars, day five, creatures in the sea and birds that fly, day six, animals on the land, and then the crowning achievement, humans made in the image of God. Uh, J.R. Middleton, who is a scholar of Northeastern University, he talks about this and he, he asks a question. He says, suppose we press the question what sort of building is God making in Genesis 1? Although not immediately obvious, the unequivocal answer given from the perspective of the rest of the Old Testament is this, God is building a temple. This notion of the cosmos as a temple has its roots in the ancient Near Eastern worldview in which temples were commonly understood as royal palaces of the gods in which they dwelled and from which they reigned. So Moses' audience, Moses wrote Genesis 1, them reading it in the modern context, they would have known that this deity that is building something is building something for himself. He's building a sanctuary. So we, we, we press the question, well, what's day seven about? Well, day seven was God again resting in his home. We read in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, check this out. And so the heavens and the earth were completed, all their heavenly lights. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he has done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. Here's the summary of what I just read. The heavens and earth were completed. God completed his work. He had done his work. He rested from his work. All his work, which he had done, rested from his work. This is a finished work that God did. Then he rests in his finished work. J.H. Walton. I'm dropping all this on you. Lo and I are taking some graduate courses. And so I'm kind of flexing here with some of these uh, <laughs> references. But I, I, here's what I was convicted about in my first Old Testament survey course. And... Um, was how central Genesis 1 and 2 being God's sanctuary is throughout the Old Testament. God desired a dwelling place. And in God's design, you see him unveil his desire. J.H. Walton said this, on the seventh day, we finally discover that God has been working to achieve rest. This seventh day is not a theological appendix to the creation account, just to bring closure now to the main event of creating people has been reported. Rather, it imitates the purpose of creation and the cosmos. 
God does not set up the cosmos so that only people will have a place. He also set up the cosmos to serve as his temple in which he will find rest and order and equilibrium for all that he has established. Here's what this says about God. God who is omnipresent. Everyone say omnipresent. What does omnipresent mean? Omnipresence best defined in Psalms 139. David, he's penning this this beautiful psalm. It's a great psalm, especially if you're a new believer. Check out Psalms 139. But he says, if I go to the highest of heights, you are what? You're there. And he says, if I go to the lowest of lows, if I go to Sheol itself, which is in the depths of the earth, he says, you are So there's this theological reality that God is omnipresence. There's nowhere that you can go on the face of the earth that he is not. Amen? And that's comforting to know. That's comforting to know. Nothing can separate you from him. The the, the omnipresence of God, it declares that God is everywhere. But Genesis 1, if we understand it as God building a sanctuary for himself, here's the reality, is that he who dwells everywhere had a desire to dwell somewhere. He who is omnipresent desired to manifest himself or to be especially present in time and in space. He desired to have a home on the earth. He who held the stars in his hands He who spoke all into existence so that the universe itself is still expanding tonight, he desired to have a place and space that he could dwell in and upon. That's awesome. This somewhere... Not everywhere, this somewhere is the foundation of our home. This somewhere is the purpose of why we're talking about it tonight. I believe God desires in urban, downtown, metropolitan areas, in church planning graveyards like Oak Lawn, in the design district, we're about to head to Cedars, Soon, I believe he's looking for a resting place. And I think he's found one. This is a desire that's not in our hearts. This is a desire that's in his. This is a zeal that he carries. Uh, let Let me lay a little more theological framework for this because Adam and Eve, what did they do? Like the three saddest words are found in, I think it's Genesis 3, 9. It's the three saddest words. It's God... He comes down and he's walking in the garden. Again, he who is everywhere was somewhere. He's walking in the garden, coming to those that he created. And he has these three words. He says, where are you? In his sanctuary, intimacy had been broken. They're hiding from him. And he's looking for them, saying, where are you? Well, they had sinned. They, 
they, ramifications of sin. There was separation. And, and we know that God then escorts them out of the garden. He guards the Eastern gate. And then this covenant of redemption, this plan of redemption ensues. And we see that God's desire does not wane, that God still desires a resting place. He chooses a people. We talked through this in the covenant, Maranatha uh, theme, the different covenants that he made, but specifically he made covenant with Moses. And when he made covenant with Moses, part of that covenant is that, is that you'll, be, you'll be my people and I will be your God. But, but that entailed him dwelling in them and with them. And so the intricacies of the design, once again, creator giving a blueprint for what a sanctuary would look like, the fingerprints of Eden are all over that tabernacle. The, the, the fingerprints of the original sanctuary are found in Moses' sanctuary. Look at this. <clears throat> this list of, of ways the Old Testament sanctuaries mirrored Eden. One, the Eastern orientation. Um, the garden, actually, it says in Genesis 2 that the garden that God would go to in Eden was on the eastern side of Eden. It also says that when they were escorted out, uh, they went to the gate that faced east. That's Genesis 3.24. Um, similarly, the entrance of the Israelite sanctuary under Moses was in the east. In a sense, the gate to the garden that they exited out of, God in his sanctuary establishes a gate in the same vicinity or direction that they can now come into. Even in Jewish thought today, uh, there's an eastern gate where they believe their Messiah is going to enter in through and take his rightful place as their king. In fact, the Muslims believe it so much that they barred in the uh, year 500, I believe, uh, they barred the Eastern Gate on the Temple Mount. And they put a bunch of dead bodies, they put a cemetery there so that the Messiah, who would be Jewish, can't touch unclean things, which dead things are unclean. They're literally putting a barricade so that their Messiah can't come through the Eastern Gate. That's fascinating. The Eastern Gate, it's a part of the original sanctuary. Source, the source of water. Uh, Eden was a source of abundant water. Uh, water was used in the sanctuary to keep it clean uh, for purification for the priests. There was a laver near the entrance of the sanctuary which they would wash. Uh, water is a symbol of life, God's blessing. Ezekiel takes up this image. He associates it with the uh, coming temple, the third temple, which there's this river that flows out of that temple. Um, Psalms 46, verse four, it says a stream of water, uh, I'm sorry, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place or the tabernacles where the most high dwells. Again, associating a river with the dwelling place of God. Uh, there's a tree of life in the garden. Um, mirrored in the sanctuary is the golden candlestick or the menorah. It's a trunk with seven branches. It's known to be a tree-shaped object. Uh, gold and precious stones are in there. Eden, a number of mentions of gold and precious stones. Same was true in the original tabernacle with the furniture and the priestly garments. The cherubim would guard the eastern gate. Uh, he would guard the tree of life. And the Moses' tabernacle, the cherubim, would be at the entrance and also over the Ark of the Covenant. What's my point? Is that God's desire is still intact in his covenant with Moses. In the, Old, in the Old Testament sanctuary. Um, so you see Eden's fingerprints, not only uh, there in Genesis 1 and 2, but you see it 
in the Mosaic uh, sanctuary as well. And then you have this, this dynamic of the Lord coming and going. Uh, we mentioned uh, Genesis 3.8. It says that God would show up in the coolness of the day. Can, I, can you throw that up there, Genesis 3.8? Check this out. They heard, who's they? Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What's the cool of the day? Probably the evening, maybe the morning, but it was a specific time, a specific place that God showed up. He who was everywhere showed up somewhere, and he showed up in the form of walking. Uh, this idea of walking, it's, a, it's the Hebrew word. Um, it's it's hithalic, which means walking back and forth or coming in and going out. Uh, this word is also used in Moses' time. I'm not going to go through these scriptures, but Leviticus 26, verse 13, it says that uh, the Lord will hithalek among you. He will walk among you in the sanctuary. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it says that he will travel with you. He will fight against your enemies. He will not reject you. He will be for you. But it's the idea of God coming and God Manifesting, God showing up, pillar of fire at night, cloud by day, but there were specific moments that he would descend upon that tabernacle and meet with Moses face to face. Why? Because it's his desire. What's his desire? To have a resting place. Where? On the earth. With who? His people. What is his desire tonight? To have a resting place. Where? On the earth. With who? His people. Who are we? We're on the earth. Created in his image, born again by the blood of Jesus. For what? To be resting places for him. The God who desired it in Genesis 1, the God who desired it with Moses, desires the same thing tonight. He's looking for resting places. And I believe he lives in many believers, but he rests in few. I believe he, he comes to many houses when he's invited, but he rests in few. There are many houses with his name on it, but they are so busy doing things for him that they do not know how to stop and actually host him. It's not a house of doing things for God. It's a house that God rests in. It is a resting place for him. We are so busy producing fruit. We're so busy achieving goals that when he shows up, we don't know what to do because we're so busy. And I've seen it. I've see, I feel like there's times when the Lord will take the top off of his house and go and put it back on and wash to see what we do. I've, I've seen it. It's my greatest desire is to honor him when he comes in. I'm not concerned about what people think. I'm not concerned about your response. I'm concerned about his. Because listen, if, if we get that right, he'll take care of everything else. I can preach. I can do it. I can study and make sermons. I can inform you. We can get in the content race of presenting you content that gives you three principles of how to live your best life. I've, I've, we do that. We do that. I've, we actually have some of that. I actually titled my sermon today. I'm really proud of myself. It's organized, thought through. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that that approach is wrong, but what I am saying is that it's not enough. Like Sunday morning church, cultural Christianity, 
I think God's killing it. Resting places. And I'm not, listen, am I talking about a specific place? Yes, I am. The upper room is a specific place. We have an address, 1310 Manufacturing. But I'm also talking about your living room. I'm also talking about your school. I'm talking about your campus. I'm talking about your workplace. I'm talking about the places in which you dwell. He wants to dwell there. In your relationships, in your passions, in your desires. He wants to dwell in those places. The God who is everywhere wants to dwell somewhere. There's these, there's these scriptures that are like, draw near to me and I will. Scriptures like, God is close to the. There's one about sin. We'll talk about this a little bit next week, but Matthew 18. It, it's actually in the context of sin and prayer and like dealing with disunity that sin brings, but he makes this. It's Matthew, I believe it's 1820. He says, uh, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am what? I'm in their midst. What, what does that mean? Beyond our theology. I, I get theologically he's here. But, but practically, what does that mean? Experientially, what does that mean? Because we can talk about the presence of God. And this is the hard challenge for me tonight. Is, is I'm teaching on something that you can't be taught into. I, here's what I mean, is that, is that I, can, I can share with you the reality of it. Biblically, I can even share testimonies. But the hope in the heart is that, is that you encounter the very thing that I'm talking about, and, and you become one that's like, oh, 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 I get it now. <laughs> I had a friend that listened to me preach quite a bit about the Holy Spirit and presence of God and that kind of thing. And he would just always go, man, I don't get it, dude. I don't get it. It seems so ethereal. What are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I, and I like re-say the same thing. And he's like, I just don't get it. I'm like, it's okay, man. Let's just pray. We prayed and he, he kept hanging in there, but he came to a, a prayer set one time and I don't know what God did, but he did something. He came up in tears, and he started thanking me. He goes, thank you. I go, for what? Not changing the subject. What do you mean? I get it. I get it. Oh, praise God. Praise God. I just... It's so crucial... I think it's what Gen Z is looking for. I think it's why this room's filled with millennials that started gathering at 3.30 today to get into this room. You know, the, the, I, didn't, I didn't share this in any other service, but the last four words in Ezekiel, Ezekiel goes into this, talking about God's design. Um, Ezekiel goes into this lavish act explanation of this millennial temple, which is a temple that people tell me hasn't been built yet, but he's prophesying of this temple that, that prophesies the Messiah will be in, that we think Jesus will be in, and this river flows out of it. But he goes into great, great detail, great, great detail. He talks about the, the cubits and links and walls and gates and this river and 
the priests that come in and go out and what they should wear and what they shouldn't wear. And I mean, it's just, you get lost in it. But the very end of him explaining the design of this temple that's at the center of this city, he like scrolls out. You know, like when you're on Google Maps and you're like really close and then you're like, well, where am I? And you pull out and you're like, oh, that's where I am. Uh, He pulls out at the very end. And Ezekiel 48 Verse 35, check this out. Ezekiel 48, verse 30. This is the last verse in the book of Ezekiel after he's done eight chapters of explaining this temple. Look at this. The city. So now he's talking about the full-on city that this temple's dwelling in. The city shall be 18,000 cubits roundabout. Whatever that means. But then he says this. And the name of the city from that day shall be. The Lord is there. What does that mean? The God who's everywhere dwells there. And people that walk into that city, the reason it's named that, it's because they're gonna walk in and they're gonna go, the Lord's here. What else would you name the city? It's gonna be the thing you're most aware of, his presence. The thing you're gonna be most aware of is that God dwells in that city. Ho! Ho! And we're to be a city on a hill. We're to bring that reality to our cities today. I feel the Lord. He likes that verse. (laughs) I think he likes all of them, but that one really like... Maranatha Jesus. (laughs) Come on, this is something you can give your life to. This is something you give the strength of your days to. When you tap into a meta narrative like this, when you tap into the micro and the the macro in the midst of your micro, like something you can't see the forest from the trees. It's like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know who I'm going to date. I don't know who I'm going to marry. I don't have much money in the bank. But God's going to use me to accomplish that? Yes. And when you latch on to that, when you latch on to his heart for a generation and for an hour, things just start lining up. Listen, you don't want to find that girl and convince her of this. You don't want to try to drag her into the meta narrative that you've been after. No, you want to get into the meta narrative and then you want to chase after it and look to your right and go, hey. <laughs> Am I right? You didn't know this was going to turn into a dating lesson, but some of you need that. You need to get kicked off the fence. God's being merciful in you because you're compromised and he's not going to bring a woman that's not compromised in the midst of your compromise. He's not. He's merciful to you. Larissa tells me all the time, she goes, I am so glad we didn't meet, I didn't meet you in your early 20s because we would not have been married. And that's as much about me as her. I, I, was, I, I was in a different place and she was in a different place. But God's mercy and his grace, he started calling us to these bigger things. And man, we were, hey. <laughs> now we got four kids and a beautiful family and he's merciful. But a message like this, this is, this is one of those messages that 
Larissa watched this morning. She was here last night. She watched this morning, and she goes, this is why I fell in love with you. I was like, what? She goes, this message, I didn't understand it the first time you shared it, but something so deep in my heart resonated with you talking about the Lord and the way that you were talking about the Lord, and I knew, I knew I needed to follow you. That's when I became her pastor, not her boyfriend, but... I pastored her well. <laughs> hey. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Um, I'm serious, though. This, this thing, if, if I've given my whole heart to it since 2006. When, when I realized that there was, it was, it was my friend, Sean. Sean. Sean came blowing through and he had this little deal at ORU called The Burn. And they were just opening up, opening up rooms, empty rooms, and calling the church to it to pray. And so I was working at a church. I asked my staff, the guy leading if we could do it. We hosted one. And I remember thinking, this is what I'm giving the strength of my days to. I'm gonna build resting places for you. I, I love like, like the idea of preaching and leading and all that stuff. It's going to be under this. It's going to be under this. And I've been going after it since 2006. And I'm, a lot of those days I was declaring it in faith, but to, today I've seen too much now to deny what I'm talking about. For some of you, you're gonna have to lay hold of this in faith, but I promise you, if you give the strength of your days, and I'm not talking about try it for a week. I'm not even talking about try it for a year talking about give yourself years of going after this pursuit. Phil and Melissa just, they're celebrating 17 years tonight, which is awesome. But I was like, I was like, I asked y'all, I said, I said, did you guys meet in a setting like this? And you guys were like, yep. And you're still going after it, more passionate than ever. They're the backbone to this family in so many respects. You're in good company and do it with others. You look weird to those that don't understand it, but that's okay. Second Corinthians 6, the New Testament. It says this. Check this out. Second Corinthians 6, 14. Oh, this, this actually fits right into the dating theme. Here we go, Paul. <laughs> Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, that's Paul. That's not me. But I think he's speaking to someone tonight. Get hold... I really do. I, I, that phrase, get off the fence. I prayed it earlier. I feel like he's drafting some of you deep into the recesses of his heart, into his army to help. Oh, so what harmony has Christ with Belalil? That's a false god of their day. And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer is nothing, just so you know. For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. And here he quotes the scriptures that I was talking about earlier. He takes the Deuteronomic uh, uh, promises of God dwelling with them and in them, and he pulls them into the New Testament. And he says this, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. This is Edenic language. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Stop right there. Go back. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. See his desire in this verse. 
to dwell in and to walk among, to dwell in and to walk among. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, there's a therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Do not touch what is unclean. And listen to this, I will welcome you. How will I welcome you? Watch this. I will welcome you, go to the next verse, and I will be a father to you. He who lives in you and dwells with you, the invitation is to a family, a family that's what? His people, a family that's what? Marked by him, what? Dwelling in, walking among, who? The father amongst us, the children. Ha! And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, there's another therefore. I gotta, can't stop. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, what promises? That I will dwell in you, that I will be with you, that I will welcome you and be a father to you. Therefore, since these promises are to you, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. We're separate. Listen, you are a citizen of heaven. You are a part of God's household now. There's something about this revelation that cleanses us from the defilement of the flesh. I believe that, I'll talk about that next week. I really believe sexual uh, purity and wholeness is found in what I'm talking about. And I'll prove that to you next week, but nothing has restored my sexuality. I came in to my walk with Jesus very broken sexually. I've heard of people that are like put together and they're fine. That wasn't me, I limped. But it was discovering the presence of Jesus, discovering the power of God's presence and the freedom that he can bring, the inner workings, praying in tongues, the things of the spirit, those things liberated me from the defilement of the flesh. The Holy Spirit. This is what we're talking about. There's a, there's a cleansing, there's a separation, there's a, there's a sanctity in the resting of God. I'll give you one more scripture here. And then I'll, I want to pray for you. It's Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's, what's that word? Everyone see God's, you are members now of God's household. So there's the house, dwelling. Think of God's house. You are now a part of it. But watch this. Um, Having been built on the foundation of the apostle, prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Next verse. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Next verse. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. That's the house of God. This is who we are. 
a resting place. David said in Psalms 132, verse five, it's the most insight to a man after God's own heart. He said, oh, that I would find a resting place for you on the earth. It was all consuming for him. It's what made David, David. He tapped into God's desire to dwell in and among his people. And that desire has not changed. I asked Carla, uh, who is a part of our media team, I said, is there any way, what's up, Carla? I said, is there any way that you can uh, give me a snapshot of the last seven days at the upper room? I missed the upper room. I missed the flow and rhythms that are here. And so she put together what our house looks like in building this reality Monday through Saturday. Check out this video. We find in Revelation 4, uh, it's the most descriptive chapter about God's dwelling place tonight. Uh, it's the throne room. That's what he's chosen to surround himself with. There's harps, there's bowls, there's songs, there's myriad of angels declaring who he is. Uh, we've been students of what attracts him. I just, I'm just so convicted that the presence of God is is actually the presence of God. That we've treated him, we've treated him like a contractor. Um, 
It's like my kids watch the show Bob the Builder. We can do it. Bob the Builder. Yes, we can. Why can we do it? Because Bob's there. And where Bob's there, he, he builds things because he's Bob the Builder. And in many ways, we treated the Holy Spirit that way. It's like we identify gifts. We identify fruit. We identify him by the things that he does. He brings the kingdom. Um, but, but the presence that I'm speaking about is actually what Jesus said in John 14. He's like, hey, guys, I'm leaving. But it's better because I'm going to send another. Not theologically. Jesus didn't theologically die on a cross. He actually came. Real time, real place. Emmanuel, God showed up in the flesh. But he left ascended to the right end of his father and he said, Dad, can you send the helper? Can you send another? And the father answered the son's prayer and he sent his presence. And he said, you'll know him because he'll live in you and he'll be with you. And I think personally, we've talked about the in you presence. But there's a with you reality that I think is a massive red carpet for us to walk upon and to discover what does it look like? What could happen to the Cedars district between South Dallas and North Dallas? I don't know, and I'm not gonna project it upon the Holy Spirit, but here's what I know is that ideas flow from that environment. Here's what I know is that he gives us people and Strategies and there's just been things that happen that can only happen in those types of environments. Homosexuals. Some of the hardest hearted former believers in Jesus that were estranged from their faith because of their sexuality, we planted in that community. And I've seen at least a dozen come in mad at God and mad at his people. And in a moment, they encounter the presence of Jesus. They come crying. What's different about this place? It's just, it's God's house. And you're welcome here. I'm not worried about your sexuality. And right now, neither is he. Just sit in his house. Let him love you, not theologically, not because he's supposed to just sit. Let him sing over you. There's one guy, I don't know if he still comes. I haven't been in four and a half months, but he didn't come on the weekends. I don't even know if he's born again. Talked to him a ton of times. He shows up in this room because he says, when I come in, my panic disappears. When I come in, I don't fight with anxiety. When I come in, it's like something is sound inside of me. It's God's house. It's because he dwells here. Have I asked him, does he do as he know him? Have I given him the gospel present? Yes, but I haven't cashed it in yet. That's not the point. The point is that he's coming into a place marked by God's presence.
this is who we are. I can't change the subject, and I won't. If God's speaking to you tonight, if like you're feeling like a, a burn in your heart, like, man, I, I, I want to sign up for that. I, I feel provoked. I don't know why, but I feel like there's something in this for me. Would you, I'm a, would you stand to your feet? That's a good response. I just want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you, would you mark these hearts? I just, in this sovereign, holy, appointed moment, would you author faith in their hearts? Would you deposit in them your zeal to first rest in them And then this idea of you resting among us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bother them as David in Psalms 132, it says, remember David in all of his affliction. Lord, that we'll allow you to afflict us. Lord, we'll allow you to use us to be misunderstood. We'll allow you to use us, Lord, to sit in empty rooms and to, to pray to an invisible God, believing, Lord, that you're building something upon our praises and petitions, that you're establishing a resting place in the city. And I feel like there's even pastors in this room or pastors that are listening online that you're being provoked, like there's a reorientation to the things of God and this has to be the bullseye. This has to be the mark. This has to be the aim. And it may be uncomfortable because of conversations that need to happen, but I just feel like the Lord is saying, fix your eyes on this because it's where it's all heading. It's what it's all unto. Eden's coming back. God will establish a resting place on the earth. We're to give a people a foretaste of that. And so, Father, we just want to sign up again and say yes and amen in Jesus' name. Let your zeal touch their lives. If you're standing up, I just encourage you to come to the prayer room this week. Actually, let, let, me, let me say it this way. I encourage you to spend time in a closet this week. And, and just ask the Lord to continue to affirm this. Take Psalms 132 and just read it. Re-listen to this message and just take notes on the scriptures, but start to give yourself fully to this yes that you're saying to the Lord tonight and watch what he does. I ask our prayer team to come up and they're gonna pray for people.